Your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. If you would please stand for the reign of God's Word if you're able to. We've been preaching through a series on Sunday mornings that we have titled for His Name's Sake. I believe that there's so much that we need to realize that we need to be living for His Name's Sake, doing for His Name's Sake, magnifying Him for His Name's Sake, and on goes the list. We look through the Scripture and we find many times that the Bible speaks of doing that which is for His name's sake. Psalm 31, we begin reading verse 1, says, o, In Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in Thy righteousness. Bow down Thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be Thou my strong rock, for an house of defense to save me. For Thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for Thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me, for thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast con considered my trouble, and hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up in the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. Back in verse 3 it says, For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. I'd like to preach a message off title, Lead Me for Thy Name's Sake, and let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning. Lord, I realize that except You meet with us, Lord, it will be in vain. Lord, I realize that You are the God of heaven, the creator of this universe, creator of all things, Lord, and we need You. Lord, there's a great need of salvation in lost souls, but there's also a great need as Christians, Lord, that we would live for You and glorify You, Lord. We need Your hand on our life. We need Your direction. We need You to lead us. Lord, I pray now that you'd watch over us, be with us during this service, Lord. No doubt there may be some here that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If they died today, they don't know that they'd go to heaven. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would deal with their hearts and draw them, Lord, that we might take a Bible and show them how to be saved today, Lord, that they might have the hope of eternal life. But Lord, I pray that you would meet the need of every Christian here, Lord, encourage and strengthen, Lord, in these difficult and troubling times. Lord, I pray that you would... Make yourself known in their hearts and lives. Give them a peace. Give them direction. Touch lives, Lord, I pray in this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. In many of the Psalms, just like this one, you'll find that David is, speaks of trouble and difficulties. You notice there that uh, uh, he, he talks about, he said, about the, you know, the difficulty and the struggles that he was having. He, he mentions those he, uh, in, uh, in uh, verse Verse 10, he says, For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing, my strength faileth. And he talks about the troubles and the struggles he has. He talks about the enemy that is, he says, Pull me out of the net, of, uh, net that they have laid privately for me, for thou art my strength. He talks about uh, those who are, are troubling him throughout this, this, this portion of Scripture. You could go on and read some more there. And it's no different than... Some of the other the psalms that he wrote, and David, even though he was king, he had troubles, he had problems, he had difficulties like everybody else. And there was always the enemy that would attack, and always those who were trying to, 
to dethrone David as, as the king of Israel. And so we find this to be uh, uh, something that uh, is very, was very important to David. And so in David's time there, I believe that this psalm was for David in the past, but I believe it's for us today. And also for the future as we experience troubling times and difficulties in our lives and we face the problems of this world. Hey, life has problems. That's just the way it is. Uh, there's coming a day, though. It's called the rapture when the Lord's going to catch us out of here, that that'll all be behind us. And I'm looking forward to that day to be in the presence of the Lord. But the sad commentary is this, that many times instead of looking to the Lord for our help and for our strength, we look to ourselves, Or we look to man or we look to somebody else and... And instead of looking unto the Lord. And the Lord knows our problems. He knows the struggles that we're facing. And, and yet many times it's, He's trying to get us to turn to Him, but we don't do that. But we find David here calling on Him. And notice David's testimony of trust here in verse 1. He says, In Thee, Lord, do I put my trust. He said, I'm going to trust You, Lord. I'm going to trust You no matter what happens. I'm going to trust You. You know, sometimes we've got to come to a place in our lives where we say, Lord, I can't handle it. I'm going to trust you. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't know what's going to happen next year, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen in this situation of my life or with my family or with my job or, or with my health or whatever it might be. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to allow you to be in control of all things and, and guide me and direct me. And uh, he goes on, he says, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. He's saying, listen, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm not going to trust my bank account. I'm not going to trust other people. I'm not going to trust the the economy. I'm not going to trust the the political parties. I'm not going to trust my own strength. I'm not going to trust in my neighbor. Lord, I'm going to trust in you to deliver me, to guide me, to help me through these times. You know what's best for my life. And he says, let me never be ashamed. David's put his trust in the Lord, trusting him, because he realized if he begins to trust himself, or if he begins to trust somebody else, that it could bring shame in his life. That it could bring about some difficulties and struggles. And, you know, there's been times that, you know, we, everybody in this room, that you've trusted somebody. And maybe you shared that with somebody else and you had to go back and correct it because, listen, that, it wasn't right or whatever. And so there was a shame of it. But I'm going to tell you something. When you trust the Lord, you'll never have to go back and correct it. There'll always be the confidence in knowing that he, he's there and he tells you what is true and he does what is right. You see, David is, is seeking deliverance in and by the righteousness of God. You know, this old world is wicked. We got good people. We got, we, you know, and, and sitting in this room, there's good people. A few shaky ones, but there's some good people in this room. And, and, but the Bible talks about that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Even what's saying is the very best that you are, you're still corrupt. The very best that you are, you still fail. But God will never fail you. And so David said, I'm trusting in your righteousness to deliver me, to guide me, to help me throughout all these problems and difficulties that I faced. Can I tell you that it's only through the righteousness of God that he sent his son into this world that we might have eternal life? Because you see, it took sinless blood to redeem us from a place called hell. And it was only through the righteousness of God. It was through Jesus Christ as He came into this world and He died in our place, took our sins upon Him. He became that sacrifice for you and I. 
It was the righteousness of God as he realized that man couldn't pay his way. Man couldn't pay the debt that was owed. Man could not become the, the sacrifice for his sins because man was wicked. So he sent his own son, his righteous and holy son, his godly son, his sinless son into this world that he might die in our place and take our sins upon him that we might have eternal life. So it's through the righteousness of God. And David is acknowledging the righteousness of God here. You see, you're going to put your trust in something. What you put your trust in when you, what are you going to put your trust in when you stand before the Lord? Every person in this room, the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's Lord. But the bottom line is this. I don't care who you are, you're going to pass away one of these days. You're either going to pass away or the Lord's going to catch us out of here or whatever. But at some point, you are going to kneel before the Lord. The Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he's Lord. And the Bible goes on and speaks about that every one of us shall give an account of what we've done in this body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Can I ask you something this morning? If you come before the Lord this morning, if you was to die this very moment, and you was to come into the very presence of God, and God would say, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? Would it be, well, God, I tell you what, I was a good person on earth and I gave money to the church and I, I helped my neighbor. I lived by the golden rule and, and I, I did good works here and there. I helped people and, and I did all these things and I was a kind person and I, I took care of the animals. And if I seen a turtle with a, a broken toenail, I took him home and I fixed it. And, 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 you know, I was good to everybody and everything. I was just an absolutely good person. You know what God's going to say? Depart from me into a lake of fire, for I never knew you. What are you trusting in this morning? Well, preacher, I, I'm a member of this church. When you get to heaven, are you going to say, God, I was a member of Calvary Baptist Church. That's why I think that I should, you know, I was a member of a church. God's going to say, depart from me, for I never Knew you. Well, 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 preacher, when I get to heaven, I'm going I'm I'm to I'm kneel before the Lord and I'm going to say, Lord, uh, I was baptized. I remember the time that the preacher uh, 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 baptized me in, 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 in those waters in that baptistry and buried in the likeness of Christ's death and raised in the likeness of Christ's death. I was baptized. And God's going to look you right in the eye. He's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Preacher, I was raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were, were Christians. I, I, I was raised in America. America is called a Christian nation. I, I'm a Christian. I was, made, I was in America and I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. And God's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. What are you trusting in this morning? You see, the only thing that's going to matter is when you kneel before the Lord. You say, Lord, I, I'm nothing. But I put my faith and trust in your very Son who went to Calvary and shed his sinless blood for me. I don't deserve heaven. 
But Lord, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, the payment that he made at Calvary, his shed blood, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm trusting in him. I've not lived like I ought to after I got saved, Lord. I, 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 just, I just haven't, but Lord, I'm trusting in your son. And I believe the Lord's going to look down and say, enter in to the joys of the Lord. Because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in his righteousness and not your own. During World War II, there was a ship that's called the USS Indianapolis. Some of you older ones probably know about the USS Indianapolis. It is one of them, the ship that actually hauled the little boy bomb and all and the other bomb to, to be the atomic bomb to be dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There was a man on that ship that he was a Marine. He had some other Marine fellows. They was assigned to that ship with those sailors. And his name was Edgar Harrell. Edgar Harrell seen all the, before he was joined the Marines, he's seen all the, the difficulties and the struggles in the world, and he heard them talking about how that Japan was going to attack the United States. And in fact, there had been actually, and, and I didn't realize this until I was reading about it, that there had actually been an attack on the United States out around California when a sub, from, a Japanese sub, actually surfaced and fired into the United States. It quickly dropped back down and got out of there before they got any cruisers in there to try to find it and locate it and destroy it. That, so the United States actually had been attacked by Japan on that day. But they'd heard about all this and that Japan was going to come in and overrun. And he was a, a teenage boy and lived down in Kentucky, raised in a Christian family, went to, to, went to church every Sunday and, and and was, was part of, of that church and so forth. And, and then one day as he was in, in that in services and the preacher was preaching and, and he was a good young man and, and his family was good godly Christians and all. And every, after the invitation, the, the people, they, was, uh, he, they were dismissed and they turned around and walked out. And at 19 years old, uh, Edgar Harrell was sitting there and he said, I just sat there. The preacher come down and sat with him and he said, Edgar, we're going to help you. He said, I, I think I need to get right with God. He began to take the scripture and show him how he needed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. He said, I had been religious up to that point. He said, I went to church all my life. He said, but it wasn't until that day, he said, that I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He said, I got up. He said, I knew. He said, after I'd asked Jesus to come to my heart and life and save me, he said, I knew I was on my way to heaven. He said, I also knew that I needed to join the military. And he said, I, I left there. And he said, I went and I joined the Marines. And he said, I was shipped out to California. Then he wound up in Indianapolis. And then he wound up, uh, or in Indiana. And he wound up uh, being out around California for a while. And then they put him on the USS Indianapolis. He was on there for about a year or so. While he was on that, that ship, it had been engaged in, in the Pacific in a lot of different, uh, different uh, 
uh, attacks and different uh, things going on. At, at different times, they had kamikazes trying to hit the, the ship and destroy the ship. He, he run one of the guns, like a 20-millimeter gun, and sat there and, and shot down. He said it helped shot, shoot down uh, some of the kamikazes and different ones. They had the huge guns on there the, that, w- that could shoot those big uh, 75 and, and pound shells and some of them even bigger than that into, into the different uh, islands and stuff and to try to destroy the enemy's uh, uh, settings and stuff that they had there. And, but then in 1945, they had come back in because they had been hit by one of the kamikazes had come in. They shot it. The plane actually hit the deck and went off on the other side. But the bomb had went. They had a bomb and he released a bomb and it went down and went in through the hole of the ship. And of course, they had all the hatches shut in all the different areas of that. It ripped a big hole in the hull of the of the USS Indianapolis. It messed up some of the the tanks that they had, the fuel tanks and so forth there and. But they limped it back to California. They got it back to California. They began to do repair on the, on the ship and, and reskin it and, and fix things. And it hadn't even been tested. And all of a sudden, they was out uh, on shore leave. And all of a sudden, they got this message. Everybody back on the ship immediately. We're leaving in an hour. They got back. and oh No, I'm t- not an hour, but we're leaving quickly. That ship actually left Pearl Harbor in one hour. Today, they still think that, there was, that they knew that Pearl Harbor was going to be attacked. It left Pearl Harbor. They told them, said, get on the ship. We're leaving in one hour. A lot of the people that were normally on the ship got left behind at Pearl Harbor. They pulled that ship out of the, and some other ships. They felt like they knew that what was going to happen at Pearl Harbor. That's a different story. But the fact is, they, they seen me coming in. They put these crates on, on, the, uh, on the ship and... They put guards all around them. They fastened them down. They strapped them down in this huge crate, five by five by 15 foot long. And then they come, men carrying, these men come carrying in this big lead cylinders and they put it in one of the admiral's uh, bedroom, kind of like his, his lodging area and stuff. And they welded a thing to the, to the floor and they put these lead things in there. And, and uh, Edgar... Uh, Harl was one of them that was conducting and having them to, to put men around. And, he, and somebody said something. He said, that kind of looks like maybe uh, some type of atomic thing or something. And the two uh, admirals and all that was standing there just looked at him and never said a word. They filed out of there. They took that ship and they headed to the Pacific. They unloaded their, they made it in record time. They, un, they made one port and then they left there and, and made it to their, their destination where they had a, a huge runway on one of the islands. They unloaded it all. They told them, okay, now you can go on down to the Philippines, down into, around the Philippines, and uh, do maneuvers with some other ships down there. The captain of that ship asked for a, for a escort, a destroyer to go with them. They said no. Uh, they raided them and said, no, everything's fine down through there. There's no enemy detected in that area. Go ahead and go. He wanted that escort. Found out later they were just trying to keep people, uh, Japan, from finding out that they knew their code. And they actually knew that there was, was the enemy was in the area. They took that USS Indianapolis down in middle of May, or not middle of May, but in, I believe it was uh, July, possibly a, uh, about midnight, just a few minutes after midnight, there was a Japanese sub that surfaced and seen them. 
fired six torpedoes into it. They had been running as though there was no enemy in the area. They had none of the hatches closed. They blew big gapping holes into the front of that ship and into the sides of it, and it began to sink. That ship sank in 12 minutes. There's 1,093 men on that ship. As the story would go, only 300 of them or so survived. There was no signal sent out because it happened so quickly. Their electric went out and so forth immediately, and they could not send any type of signal. For four days, they floated in the ocean. Hypothermia, no water, no food. Sharks continually killing and eating people and destroying them. One of the things that kept Edgar Harrell going, he said there was many times people would just give up, reach up, undo their, their life jackets and just go because of the terribleness of it being out there in the ocean down that Philippian Sea. Philippine sea. He would, people would begin to get delirious and and scream and holler and fight and he had no energy because of being out in the hypothermia and different things had set in and their tongues would swell, their lips would split, their eyes and everything would become blistered from the sun reaching 110 degrees during the day. And 85 degree water at night seemed like ice water to them, bringing their body temperatures down. Over and over again, people begin to just want to die and just give up and give up. And Edgar Harrell. Carl said, you know, he said, it was God that kept me going, kept me going. He said, I kept thinking, the Holy Spirit kept saying, you're going to make it through this. You're going to live through this. You're going to, you're going to make it. And the fourth day, he was about to the point, he said, I was beginning to lose, lose it, he said, and, and begin to hallucinate a lot more and stuff. And he said, I kept thinking about my family, and I kept, we kept quoting Scripture, and we kept praying. And he said, everybody becomes, uh, begins to pray, even atheists. Because they realize then that there is a God and they call on God. On that fourth day, he said that there was a plane that come down. Come to find out it was a plane that should not have even been in that area at that low altitude. They'd see them go over about 30,000 feet and they could never see them. That day that plane come over and it was looking for subs and stuff. And it came over and as it went over, the, they was having trouble with their antenna. What they call a sock came off the antenna and they was wanting to stop because it would beat the, the, uh, the plane and it would do damage to it. And so the pilot got up out of the pilot seat and went back into, the, into where the gunner was and went back to where the gunner was. And he happened to look out the window and he seen something. It happened to be Edgar Harl and an admiral and some other people floating there. And all through this, God's hand kept Edgar alive and kept him God. Why? Because Edgar had trusted in God. In the worst times of your life, in the most difficult hours of your day, when it seems like everything is lost, you can trust the Lord. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame the holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. What are you putting your trust in in these uncertain times? We're living in some times when there are uncertainties. What are you putting your trust in? What are you trusting in when you uh, uh, get that unnerving report from the doctor? What are you putting your trust in when the economy goes south and your savings during retirement goes with it?
Hey, it's Jesus Christ you can trust first for salvation and for your soul and then all other things in life. You can trust the Lord. David said, hey, listen, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'll never be ashamed by putting my trust in you. David calls on the Lord to hear him, to hear his call for protection. In verse 2, he says, Bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. You see, I serve a prayer-answering God. David knew that he was serving a prayer answering God and that God would hear him. He says, bend down thine ear. I want you to hear my ear, or hear my call unto you. Hey, do you realize it doesn't matter how dark your day? No problem, no, no problem can keep the Lord from hearing your prayer. David says, Lord, would you bow down your ear so that you can hear me? I need you. I need you to hear my prayer. You realize that God wants us to call him. God wants us to call upon Him. He wants us to tell Him what's going on. He knows what's going on, but He wants us to tell Him. He tells us to call upon Him. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call on me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He says, Call on me. David was practicing that. David calls on the Lord to be his rock of defense and to save him from his his troubles and and the enemies that were attacking him. The psalmist said in Psalm 61, 2, he says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. He said, I'm going to cry out unto thee, Lord. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He said, there's a solid rock. He said, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. Everything else is sinking sand. We need a strong rock, not some little pebble to trust in. Jesus is that rock upon which the church is built and no storm can blow it away. You see, Jesus is that foundation that no one else can can lay and He's built His church upon it. A little Scottish lady once was telling a preacher, she was saying, uh, sometimes she said when talking about her salvation, she said, there are times when I'm frightened and I tremble on the rock. She said, but the rock has never trembled under me. My friend, I want you to know something. It doesn't matter what comes your way. The rock will never tremble. You may be on that rock and you may be trembling trembling yourself and you may be scared, but you can trust the rock. You know why? Because it's a strong rock. It's a rock that can never be moved. In Psalms 31, 3 there it says, For thou art my rock and my fortress. A fortress is a strong built habitat where you can trust in it. Boy, we can trust in the Lord this morning and and we can allow Him to be our rock. Is He your rock this morning? Is He your fortress? where you can rest in Him and put to ease all your fears and your troubles. David calls upon the Lord for deliverance in verse 4. He says, Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me, for thou art my strength. He says, Pull me out of that net. He said, They're trying to trap me. So many times like David, we feel like we've been, been trapped or caught in a net of destruction with no escape. You see, our hope of deliverance is in the Lord as he is the one that can pull us out of the net and that the enemy's laid for us. Many times, every one of us, we fall into a place where we feel like, man, there's no hope and I can't get out of this. But the Lord can reach down and lift you out of that net, out of that way that the enemy has trapped you in. Again, like David, ourselves, we're weak and we need strength to push on for the Lord. That strength can only come from the Lord. And it's when we depend on the strength of the Lord that we become strong. You know, a lot of us, we, we pride ourselves in, in our strength and we pride ourselves in, in how that we can take care of us. I was talking this week with my, my uncle down in, 
in Bolivar in, in the nursing home down there. I Skyped him in again and was talking to him. And, and he's one of them that, that fought in World War II. He, he's 98 years old. He fought in World War II. He was in the Pacific down there. And I was talking to him. And, but earlier in the week I had talked with, uh, they give me a report. They update me every so often. They give me a complete update about his health, his, his weight, his eating and everything. Uh, his, his mental health, everything about him. They evaluate him and they, and they let me know. And here's a man that's, that was at one time, I remember, that would have been taller than me probably. But a little bit taller or at least my height. Now he's hunkered over and his body is frail and... And uh, when they gave me his weight, I was a little bit shocked. They said, well, he, he, he's down a little bit from when he, what he was. He's 143 pounds. And I thought, 143 pounds? They said, yeah, he was 150. When he had the COVID, he lost six pounds, or lost seven pounds. He's down to 143. And this man used to be a bigger man. Every one of us, our strength is going to go away one of these days. The abilities. He sits in a wheelchair now. He's not able to walk around. He sits in a wheelchair because he don't have the strength anymore. He's 98. I talk to him. He sits kind of sideways a little bit. He can't hardly hold himself up straight. He don't have the strength. And you and I are the same way. We don't have the strength in many areas of our lives. We think that we can handle it. And my friend, I want you to know something. There comes a time when you can't handle it in your own strength. You need the Lord. But even beyond the physical, you need the Lord in everyday life because He is strong. Many times we become weak because of the attacks of Satan, because of the attacks of this world. And we're not able to help. But the Lord is, He is strong. The psalmist there in Psalms 4, and, 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 and he says there in Psalm 31 verse 4, he says, pull, pull me out of the net they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. 2 Corinthians 12, it says, in verse 9, he says, He saith unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, uh, my, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the Apostle Paul, and he said, when I'm weak, he said, I'm going to trust in one that's stronger than me. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Hey, this, my friend, this morning, you may have some problems, and you feel like, I can't handle these. I'm not strong enough to handle these. Hey, there's one that's strong that can handle every problem you got. He's strong. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When we do those things for the Lord and through Him, as He leads us, as He guides us, we become strong. Oh, we need to get back to looking for the, our strength in the Lord instead of self or instead of man. But I want you to consider something. Really, that was kind of an introduction, but because here's the real message of, of the deal that I want us to get to. Consider the grounds for all the prayer requests of David during this, this, this psalm. Look at verse 3 again. It says, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Then look at this. It says, therefore, because of that, because you're my rock, because you're my fortress, because I'm trusting in you. He says, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. He says, for thy name's sake. He said, I'm praying this prayer for thy name's sake. 
He said, I'm not trusting in me. I'm, I'm doing this. He's prayed and he called upon the Lord to deliver him out of all these trouble. He said, for thy name's sake, I'm praying this. For thy name's sake, Lord, lead me in all that you want me to do. Remember the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was struck down on the road to Damascus. And after he'd been struck down on the road to Damascus, he began to pray and he began to tremble. And, and in verse 6 of chapter 9 of Acts, he says, And he trembling astonished and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He said, I'm going to trust you. What do you want? For your name's sake, guide me. Paul was saying, lead me. Many down through the ages have learned the blessing of, of the truth. Uh, for thy namesake, lead me and guide me. You see, uh, in these troubling times and difficult times now that, we, that lies ahead of each of us, we need to, to go to our knees and say, Lord, for thy namesake, lead me, guide me. Help me to live for you. Tell me what you want me to do. Help me to live day by day. Help me to serve you. Help me to put you first in my life. For thy namesake. You know, most of our lives and most people's lives in this day and time is about themselves. And that's why they're so miserable. That's why they are never satisfied. It's because their life is all about them. And we should be living our lives for the, for the honor and glory of God, for His namesake. And David is saying, for thy namesake, Lord, so that you will be glorified, so that you will be magnified. Lord, for your name's sake, Lord, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you help me? That you'll get the honor and glory. That you'll be magnified. You know, on this day and time, for the Lord's name's sake, for the church and for His honor and glory, every Christian ought to say, you know what? Lord, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I don't know what to decide to do. Lord, would you help me? Lord, that you might be glorified that you might be lifted up. The psalmist said, or tells us there that, that he, because for his name's sake, David was asking the Lord to deliver him not because he was king, but because he was living and he represented the king of kings. It was for the Lord's name's sake that he requested help. If there's ever a time when we need to call on the Lord to lead us, it's now for his name's sake. I pray that every Christian would get a passion, as passionate about I said this the other night, and, and it's still coming to mind. I wish every Christian would get as passionate about the Lord and about living for the Lord as they are about their politics. The preacher, I can't believe you said that. I'm going to say it again. <clears throat> I wish every Christian would get as passionate about living for God and serving the Lord as they are about their politics. Because I'm going to tell you something. When politics are gone, God will still be here. And when things go wrong, God will still be here. And when we get to heaven, no politics. No politics. Oh, how we need to, for His name's sake, to begin to live for Him and to serve Him that He might be glorified in our lives, that we might magnify Him. We are, we are in so need of getting our eyes on the Lord and seeking Him to lead and to guide us in these deep waters that, that we're facing in our day. I think about that Edgar Harl again as he's floating in that ocean for four days and 
back and forth and how easy it would have been. Many of the men, they just succumbed to it and many of them because of they would even drink some of the salt water and it would cause more problems and they would hallucinate and they would finally dehydrate and, and they would die and, or they would just go crazy and they would take their life jackets off and, and, and one man, he said, he, he just, he said, do you see it down there? And he talked about, about the, it being a water cooler that was under the water and he took his life jacket off and he dove down and began to swim towards it and never come back up. He was 16 years old. He lied about his age when he went into the military. The boy. And so many times what we don't realize is that we need the Lord to lead us. Or we need you to guide us. We need your direction for our lives. For thy name's sake, lead and guide me in, in how to get the gospel out. I've been praying. I don't know about you, but I hope you've been praying about Lord, how can we get the gospel out to more people? How can we reach more people with the word of God? We're living in a time when people, I think they, they're looking for some answers. We just got to get the word of God out. We got to get the gospel out. We got to get concerned about lost souls and, and, and reaching people for Christ. People are dying without Jesus Christ. They need the Lord. And, and my friend, we got to get the gospel out to them. We need to pray. Lord, lead me, guide me, help me day by day. Maybe put somebody across my path uh, that I can give the gospel to or give a gospel track to, invite them to church or whatever. Lord, lead me and guide me. The most important thing. Lord, lead me and guide me and Raising my family. Direct our churches. Lead us and guide us to live our lives for your name's sake. Lead us and guide us, Lord, to worship the Lord as we should. And then at the end of the psalm, which I didn't read, David closes out his psalm with praise. Here he's going through these difficulties. And after he calls upon the Lord for his namesake, he begins. He hasn't even been delivered yet, and he's already thanking the Lord and praising him. Verse 23 says, O oh, love the Lord, all ye, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully reward the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength. We need to keep the faith because He will preserve those who are faithful following as He leads and guides us. We need to be of good courage for we know who is really in control in the closing out of these days. It's the Lord. He'll still strengthen your heart and give peace and joy in the midst of the troubles. Remember, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I close with this. A lady wrote this. Her name was Helen Malicote. She wrote, I was regretting the past, fearing the future. Then suddenly, my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets, it is hard. He said, I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it's hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. But when you live in this moment, it's not hard. 
I am here. My name is I am. Folks, do you realize you don't have to fear the future and you don't have to worry about the past because you can trust the I am that is here now. He is our strength. He is our guide. Oh, let us learn to allow him to lead us and guide us for his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the mercies that you've shown to each of us. Help us now, Lord, to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to lift you up. For your name's sake, Lord, may our hearts be stirred to live for you. For your name's sake, Lord, may we find a place and, Lord, uh, surrender our hearts to you. Lord, for your name's sake, maybe there's somebody here today that needs to get saved, that they would get saved, that you would be glorified. Lord, pluck them from the burning. Lord, I thank you for loving us and I thank you for your mercies. Have your will way this invitation. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?